Welcome, everyone, to Bible Stories for Snarky People. I'm Josh. And I'm Sarah. We may have finished Jonah, but these are fun, so we're going to make one with Ruth. That's right. Once again, I will attempt to read from the Bible. And I will enrich the story with questions and commentary. Uh, Sarah, do you mean enrich or interrupt? Hey! Well, hmm, maybe it's both and. Because when you're reading the Bible, the best thing you can do is ask lots and lots of questions. And the book of Ruth, like the book of Jonah, is an ancient fable in four chapters, so it lends itself well to the format we've already established. Plus, it's just a really good book. Are you ready for the book of Ruth? Yes. The book of Ruth, chapter one. In the days when the judges ruled... Judges? Oh, that's right. When the Israelites first conquered the land of Canaan, they didn't have much of a government. Uh, They would select certain people to serve as judges, to settle disputes. But otherwise, everyone just minded their own business. Sounds like a nice way to live. Uh, You would think, but when you read the book of Judges, which comes right before Ruth in the Christian Bible, you find a situation that just got worse and worse over time. Oh. But that's another story. Now, are you going to interrupt me after every single phrase? Of course not. That would get old. Okay. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem in Judah went to live in the country of Moab, he and his wife and two sons. Oh, Bethlehem. That's where Jesus is from. Yes. In the Gospels, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. But this is way before that. Yes, more than a thousand years before. That's an ancient town. Yep. And the name Bethlehem means house of bread. And there's a famine there? That's ironic. Welcome to the amazing storytelling of the Book of Ruth. So there's a famine, and this guy has to leave. That makes sense. And he goes to Moab? Moab, yes. That's not just a town in Utah where people go dirt biking. Moab was a neighboring country where, apparently, uh, food was still plentiful. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. How come only one of those is a modern-day name? Yeah, I've known some Naomi's, but I've never met an Elimelech. Do the names mean anything? Ah, you've picked up on the importance of names in Hebrew storytelling. Naomi means pleasant. A good name. Yeah. Elimelech means God is king, so this is a faithful family. But Malon means sickness, and Hilion means destruction. Those last two are awful names! You'd think a good judge would judge that naming your children sickness and destruction doesn't bode well. Yeah, so much for the judges. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. Oh, sad. These took Moabite wives. The name of one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. Once again, only one is a modern name. Orpah is fun to say, though. Orpah. Orpah. When they had lived there for about ten years, both Malon and Chilion also died, so that the woman was left without her two sons or her husband. 
What did I say about these not boding well? Hmm. Also, what caused all these deaths? I thought they escaped the famine. Yeah, we are not given to know why these three men died, though I agree with you that those names were not a good sign. We're actually still setting up the main plot. I suppose that also explains why they're not common names, seeing as two of them mean terrible things, and the three of them are dead in the first five minutes. Right. Then she started to return with her daughters-in-law from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had had consideration for his people and given them food. Wait, that's a confusing sentence. Does it mean that she had heard rumors that the famine in Bethlehem was over? Like God had spared them and stopped it? Yes, exactly. Just like in the book of Jonah, everything big and uncontrollable that happens is credited to God. Or blamed on God. Either way, when we can't understand why something has happened, it's our human instinct to wonder whether God did it. Well, who else could have done it? Ancient peoples wouldn't have said, Mother Nature did that. Famines must be a divine sign of some kind. Does that mean nowadays we don't think God does anything? Oh, not at all. But with the scientific method and modern farming techniques, we do at least have a deeper understanding of how famines work, and we have different understandings than we used to about how God might work in the world. So, she set out from the place where she had been living, she and her two daughters-in-law, and they went on their way to go back to the land of Judah. That's Naomi, right? Yeah, there are a few too many pronouns here. Naomi, Ruth, and Orpah, all of them now widows, are heading to Naomi's home country. In those days, they didn't have advanced country borders or custom checkpoints or that, anything. Yeah, that's right. And the distance wasn't very great. They really just had to cross the Dead Sea to the west. But we are talking about a different culture with a different language and a different religion. So in that way, it is a big deal. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find security, each of you in the house of your husband. Ruth and Orpah have never been to Bethlehem. The Hebrew verb shuv means to return. It sounds like Naomi has just realized that she's the only one returning to anything. It may be that Naomi realizes that foreigners, especially foreign widows with no men to take care of them, might have a lot of trouble there. Who needs men to take care of them? Oh, if only it were that simple. But in ancient days and cultures, women were first owned by their fathers and then owned by their husbands. When there was no man owning them, that could mean starvation. Yeah. Yeah, it's not fair. Then she kissed them and they wept aloud. They said to her, no, we will return with you to your people. Good for them being loyal to their mother-in-law. Yeah, they use the word return too, even though they're not the ones returning. They're really dedicated to Naomi. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Do I still have sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. Even if I thought there was hope for me, even if I should have a husband tonight and bear sons, would you then wait until they were grown? Would you then refrain from marrying? That would be stupid. Hey, mom-in-law, you're pregnant. Now we'll settle in for 20 years and wait for them to be born and grow up. 
assuming they're male and they're twins and that we won't be too old to have kids ourselves by then. And anyway, where did you suddenly get a husband? <laughs> <laughs> Naomi really has a point here. Her mothering days are behind her. No, my daughters, it has been far more bitter for me than for you, because the hand of the Lord has turned against me. I mean, yeah, it's more bitter for her. She lost her husband and both her sons, while they just lost a husband each. Yeah, if they go home to Moab, they might be able to remarry. I wonder how old they're supposed to be. We don't even know how long they were married before their husbands died. But ten years have passed somewhere along the line. Mm. It did say that. And there are still no children. So they're not even really that young anymore. If neither of these women has had children yet, they might never. Things are not going well for them. Then they wept aloud again. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Hugs are nice. Hugs are nice. But Ruth isn't budging. So she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. Who's she? Yeah, pronoun problem again. It's Naomi speaking. She's saying, Orpah went home like I asked. Go with her. Oh, that makes more sense. But Ruth said, Do not press me to leave you or to turn back from following you. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. There will I be buried. May the Lord do thus and so to me, and more as well, if even death parts me from you. Wow, she's really loyal. I didn't get that last part, though. Oh, yeah. May the Lord do thus and so to me, and more as well. That's a Hebrew expression that basically means, may God punish me to the extreme. Oh, punish her for what again? Yeah, for the moment, I think Ruth just means, there's no way in Sheol that you're sending me home. Still, kind of much. <laughs> when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more to her. Silent treatment? I think Naomi has given up on convincing Ruth. When they arrive in Bethlehem, they're going to arrive as a family. Yay! So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? Her friends from ten years ago remember her! She said to them, Call me no longer Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. Why the name change? In the Bible, name changes are usually associated with someone having a new kind of life now, or a new call from God, which would really be the same thing. Earlier we established that the name Naomi means pleasant. Yeah. Does Mara mean anything? Yes, and she's said it herself a couple of times now. Bitter? Yes, Mara means bitter. Not a good name to give your kid, but maybe a name for an old woman to give herself when she's full of sorrow. But she has Ruth! Yes, and Ruth will indeed be very important to her. But for now, let's really hear her sadness. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has dealt harshly with me? And the Almighty has brought calamity upon me. Poor Naomi, but again with the blaming God. Yeah, and who else is there to blame? If God handles all that we don't understand, then we might assume that God made all this happen on purpose. And that's very sad indeed. 
So Naomi returned, together with Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, who came back with her from the country of Moab. They came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Yay! Famine's over! And that's the end of chapter one. Nice and short. Uh, not much action. A bit depressing. A bit. And we weren't very snarky, were we? There wasn't much to make fun of this time. The characters were so sympathetic. Not ridiculous, like Jonah was. Yeah, when we read the book of Jonah before, by the end of the first chapter, Jonah had been thrown overboard and swallowed by a fish. In this one, much more time passes, a whole decade and more. But all that happens in that time is mostly a lot of death and walking. I know this story well, and I know the action will pick up soon. Chapter one is really just setting up the rest of the story. For now, we see two women from different countries teaming up as a family to figure out how they're going to live their life together. It's good the famine is over, but let's face it, the odds are against them. We see that Naomi has old friends, but they don't have any legal responsibility for her. And we don't know of any men who, according to the customs of the time, would take care of them. Maybe they can start their own business. Hey, that's a great idea. Of course, you need some seed money to start a business. Maybe they can get jobs. Maybe there's money in barley. We'll find out in Chapter 2. We hope you enjoyed this first chapter of the Book of Ruth. Or if you didn't enjoy it because it was so terribly sad. At least we hope you want to know what happens next. So we'll see you next time for Chapter 2 of the Book of Ruth on Bible Stories for Snarky People. Bye!